Let's start our Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambodasa Namotasa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambodasa As you know, there are two approaches to practicing metta meditation. One approach is to practice it with the emphasis to cultivate this feeling of loving kindness, as we do it here. And the other approach is to practice it with the emphasis to develop deep states of concentration, the so-called jhanas, absorptions. And so tonight in this talk, I want to give kind of a rough outline of metta meditation, how it is practiced in order to reach the jhanas. Just to give you a, a general idea of how that practice um, would look like. In 2005, when Sayed Ujanaka was teaching at the Forest Refuge in uh, Barrie, Massachusetts, the United States, I practiced a month of metta meditation. And he was kind of guiding me uh, so that I would um, attain the jhanas. And I must say, this was a very, very powerful experience. It was also very interesting, um, the way to get there. So to give you some background information, in order to attain these deep states of concentration, the jhanas, there are 40 objects of meditation. So metta, to uh, practice metta meditation, is just one among these 40 objects. The other uh, divine abidings, karuna, mudita and upeka, can also be used to attain jhanas. Then besides that, for example, anapanasati, to uh, observe the in and out breath, can be used to attain the jhanas. Or there are the kasinas, special meditation devices, for example, colored discs, a white disc or a red disc. Or there is also a number of reflections that can serve as a basis to reach the jhanas. And with all these different kind of objects, but the main thing is that, that one chooses one object and that one brings the mind back to one chosen object again and again let's say it's metta meditation, so then we need to bring the mind back to the cultivation of metta time and again. Whenever the mind wanders, we bring the mind back. Whenever there is a sensation in the body, we don't go there and observe the sensation as we would in vipassana, but we try to ignore ignore it and go back to the cultivation of loving-kindness. So there is basically just this one object where we focus the mind repeatedly, 
again and again. And everything else should be ignored. Also uh, sounds uh, from outside and so on. For all the different uh, concentration practices with these different objects, it is very important to have suitable conditions. And one thing among these suitable conditions is to have a quiet and a quiet place with no distractions. Ideally, to have very few um, audible distractions, like, for example, hear the train with the loud horn. So that could be quite a major uh, distraction. So best it would be to be away from a town, from a village, in the forest, in a cave, and so on. Another very important condition is that one does not engage in any worldly business, which is to say, so not making telephone calls, to your friend, not sending SMS, not sending <coughs> emails, not receiving visitors, and of course not having to deal with day-to-day worldly business like paying your monthly rent or whatever it is. So that should all be taken care of either beforehand or by another person. And then there is a certain approach recommended for those who practice metta meditation in order to reach the jhanas. And this approach is, first I will uh, just mention the different points and after that I will say a few words to each of these points. So first, we should do the preliminary preparations before engaging in the actual metta meditation. Then, one should reflect on the dangers of dosa and then reflect on the benefits of patience. And the next point is that we know precisely for whom we should not be developing metta at the beginning of our practice. And we should also know precisely for whom we should never develop metta. Then we need to know for whom, for which kind of person we should start practicing metta meditation and the last point is also to know how to proceed in our metta meditation. So in regard to the preliminaries or the preliminary preparations, the first point here is that it is said we should take a shower and put on um, clean and tidy clothes. And this should be done so that the body and mind can feel clean, pure and fresh. And the purpose, or another purpose, to have a clean body, 
clean clothes is that it facilitates to develop concentration. At other places in the scriptures, when talking about concentration, it is that among other conditions that facilitate the arising of concentration is clean body, clean clothes, and also a clean environment, which is to say so that the room where we practice should be clean, orderly, not messy, and that the environment, let's say the meditation hall or the compound of the monastery or meditation center should also uh, be well kept, clean. Then part of the preliminaries is then when you sit down, first we should pay respect to the triple gem and entrust ourselves to the Buddha. And to entrust ourselves to the Buddha is done that we are protected, especially when the mind is overcome with fear or when the mind gets scared of whatever it is. So then it is that this fear, being scared, will not harm us, but the protection of the triple gem of the Buddha uh, is there. And after that, one should take the five or the eight or the nine precepts as to make sure that our ethical conduct is pure. And so then after that, we take our sitting posture and first of all, we should spend some moments to reflect on the dangers of dosa, the dangers of ill will, aversion, hatred, and so on, and a few moments to reflect on the benefits of patience. This can be done in the way I have explained two days ago in my Dhamma talk. The next step is that we should know for whom we should not start to practice metta meditation at the beginning. And persons that can be a bit more difficult are the persons from these categories the disliked person, enemies, the neutral person, or very dear persons. As I've already said before in another talk, so for disliked, difficult persons or enemies, it's obvious that we might um, get aversive, uh, have ill will, grudge, resentment, and so on. For the neutral person, uh, there might be indifference, and to arouse the feeling of metta might become tiring. In case of the dear person, the pitfall is that we uh, fall prey to worry or sorrow, lamentation, in the case the person is sick or is going through some uh, big difficulties in his and her life. And then there are two kinds of persons for whom we should never develop loving-kindness when we want to 
practice metta meditation in order to reach the jhanas. And these two kinds of persons are, one is uh, a dead person, never towards a person who has died, and the other type of person is a person of the opposite sex, or to be more politically correct nowadays, a person for whom uh, one feels sexual attraction. In case of not practicing metta towards a person of the opposite sex in order to reach the jhanas, it is said because one easily can succumb to feelings of lust or strong desire. In the case of a dead person, it is said that with a dead person as one's object of metta meditation, it is impossible to attain deep states of concentration, impossible to reach excess concentration, impossible to reach um, absorption concentration. In regard to this point of not practicing metta towards a dead person, so this is very specifically for uh, practicing metta in order to reach the jhanas. My teacher, Saito Ujanaka, has said that if one practices metta meditation with the emphasis to just cultivate this quality of loving-kindness, then it is possible and even beneficial to develop metta towards a person who has passed away. And we can understand it in this way, like a person who has passed away is, according to Buddhist belief, uh, reborn somewhere else, in another existence. And so, by directing our mind to that person who has passed away, and so we direct our mind indirectly to that being, which is the successor of the person we have known who has passed away. And so, as our mind is inclined towards a living being, although we don't know exactly what kind of living being it is or where it is, but it's inclined towards that particular being, and so this can be beneficial um, for that living being. So if we have family members, mothers, fathers, grandparents, or any other sister, brother, nephews who have died, we can include them in our uh, metta meditation when it practices just to cultivate the feeling of loving-kindness. So knowing for whom we should never uh, cultivate loving-kindness or not at the beginning, then we should know with whom to start and then in which sequence we should continue. And to start is that we start with ourselves, as we have done it here in this retreat. And this is to take ourselves as a witness, because we, for ourselves, know know best that deep within we have this wish for happiness and well-being. And from here, we can 
guess or know that for other persons, for other beings, it's not different. They too only dearly wish to be happy and well. And then, after having developed metaphor ourselves, then we know that the sequence is the next person is a benefactor, from there to the dear person, from there to the neutral person, from there to the disliked person, difficult person or enemy, and lastly, to all living beings. So to develop loving kindness for ourselves is not done very long. It's just to start with, to set the ground, but then we go on to choose a benefactor. And so then we choose the benefactor and first we can reflect on her or his good qualities to kind of bring him, her up in our mind, in our heart and get a clear picture, get a clear felt sense of this benefactor. Reflect on the qualities of kindness, compassion, wisdom, patience, altruism, uh, and so on. And with that, then we start with the actual cultivation of metta using a phrase like, for example, may my benefactor be well, happy, and peaceful. May my benefactor be well, happy, and peaceful. And then we repeat this wish silently, softly, again and again and again and again, hundred times, ten thousand times, hundred thousand times, a million times. So, for quite some time. And here I want to add a word in regards to the words we use. We can say, may my benefactor be happy and well, or if our benefactor is a teacher, we can say, may my teacher be happy and well, or we can say, we can put the name there, may Nancy be happy and well. And this is the traditional approach. So to explicitly state that this is a benefactor or a teacher or to call this person by name. So to really get the sense and um, heartfelt knowing, yes, this is my teacher or it's Nancy, my teacher. Using the word, may you be happy and well, is different and because you can be used for any person on this planet. So it's not very specific. And so maybe, especially at the outset of the practice, it can be helpful to explicitly state that is my benefactor or my teacher or Nancy. And only when we get the very clear and distinct felt sense that this is my teacher, this is her or him, that we may change to you. But as we said, you know, you can experiment uh, yourself 
how it is for yourself. So when we cultivate loving kindness towards our benefactor, it does not matter whether or not we have a mental image of this uh, benefactor in our mind. What matters and what is most important is that we have this heartfelt wish, this pure and genuine wish for the teacher to be happy and well. And so this heartfelt wish is much more important than having or not having uh, a mental picture. So there is no need to actively visualize this person uh, in your mind. But if a mental picture arises spontaneously in the mind, then that's okay. Sometimes it can be that after some time of cultivating loving-kindness for a person that spontaneously a mental picture of this person appears in the mind. And sometimes it happens then that this person is smiling, smiling at us. Or sometimes it can happen that all of a sudden we notice that we are actually smiling, that we have a smile on our face while cultivating metta for a specific person. So then, when the practice deepens, when the mind becomes more, becomes calmer, more still, and concentration gains uh, momentum, then the jhanas can arise. And jhana means absorption, and so it means that the mind is absorbed into the focus of our metta-meditation or the object of meditation. So the mind is completely concentrated and the mind firmly sticks to our object of meditation. At that time, the mind does not wander. And in the case of metta meditation, when the mind uh, enters the jhana, then the feeling of metta becomes very powerful and strong and so the mind rests firmly with the metta or is absorbed into the metta. And as a result of that, the mind is very calm, is very still, peaceful, can also be very joyous and happy. Mind is free from wandering thoughts, free from anxiety, sorrow, and so on. During the first talk of this retreat, Venerable Viranyani, when she spoke about metta, the nature of metta, she said that when metta becomes strong and powerful, uh, we, it can, uh, we can feel chilled out and uh, can feel like the aircon is turned on. At that time, metta, the feeling of loving-kindness, friendliness, benevolence, permeates our whole mind and body. 
because the mind, the heart, is permeated with metta, it's also calm, um, joyous, soft, and so also the body becomes permeated with a delightful feeling of coolness and freshness. And so it feels as if we are getting cold, or like the aircon is turned on, or it can feel as if a cool breeze is blowing, and it can become so prominent that we want to put on a jacket or a shawl because it's cold. We feel cold. I have mentioned that we can reach the jhanas and so use the plural. Basically, to start with, there are four uh, levels of jhana. This is how it is explained in the suttas. In the Abhidhamma, a fivefold classification is used. But here, um, I want to use the fourfold classification. And not all the 40 objects that can be used for Samatha meditation, not all of them lead to all the jhanas. Like metta, with the practice of metta meditation, we can only reach the first three levels of jhana. So the fourth is not possible with the practice of metta meditation. And there are different levels of jhana because in each successive level of jhana there is a much greater degree of calm and stillness. So, when we reach the first jhana, it is said that at that time, in the mind, there are five factors present. I just going to mention them for your general knowledge. Some of you might be familiar with these jhana factors. But just to give you an idea of what these mental factors are. So in the first jhana, there are five jhana factors. They are initial application, then sustained application, then rapture. The fourth one is happiness. And the fifth one is one-pointedness. Then, as we reach the second level of jhana, some factors fall away. And it's the first two factors of initial application and sustained application which fall away. So in the second jhana, there are only three jhana factors. And these are rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness. Then in the third jhana, it has one jhana factor less. So rapture falls away. And so the third jhana has the jhana factors of happiness and one-pointedness. With other objects of Samatha meditation, when the fourth jhana can be reached, just to let you know, in the fourth jhana, there are also two jhana factors, but instead of happiness, 
we have equanimity and one-pointedness. So equanimity and one-pointedness are the two jhana factors of the fourth uh, jhana. So in order to reach the jhana, absorption or absorption concentration, we first reach a moment which is called excess concentration. So it's like the excess to the full concentration or absorption concentration. And after having reached the excess concentration, then when the mind reaches absorption, absorption concentration, it's like the mind is thinking, thinking into the meta-feeling. It's a distinct experience that we can experience and know when it happens. And so at that time, the feeling of metta is very powerful, very strong. It's as if this inner spring, there is this wellspring of metta just flowing. It comes very easily, very effortlessly. And it can also... Uh, happen that the person for whom we have been cultivating metta, so the person disappears, is no longer present in our mind. But this feeling of metta, the the gushing force of metta, that is uh, there, that is what uh, is happening. And so, first this moment of absorption concentration will be rather short. And then we emerge from it and um, then we have to continue with the practice until the mind gets there again. And so with repeated practice, we are able to stay longer and longer periods in absorption concentration in the jhana. So from a few moments to a minute, to a few minutes, uh, to 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, many hours. So as practice goes, the better we get at it. So we know the sequence of persons we have to go through and in order to really make this feeling of metta very strong so that we can uh, be absorbed uh, in the jhana for uh, longer periods, of time, it is good to not only have one person of a category and then go to the next category, but that we choose several persons of the same category. So we would have chosen one benefactor, let's say a teacher, and so we cultivate metta until uh, we are able to attain the jhana and stay in it for some time. And you know, this might take many days, even weeks, until we get there. And so then, when we have been successful with the teacher, we choose another benefactor. And then we do the same process again until we reach the jhana with the second benefactor maybe then it doesn't take that long uh, anymore. 
And after that, we choose a third benefactor. So we may choose four or five people of the same category. And only then do we go on to the next category, the dear person. And there likewise, one dear person, until we become skilled in attaining the jhana, then a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth dear person. Only then change to the next category, the neutral person. Same way of doing it, then with the disliked person or enemy, and after that uh, for all living beings. Now I want to mention one common pitfall in the practice of metta meditation when we practice it uh, to reach the jhanas. But actually, this can also be a pitfall when we practice it as we do here with the emphasis to strengthen the quality of loving-kindness. So with the continued cultivation of loving-kindness, the mind becomes more tranquil, still, and the feeling of kindness, friendliness becomes stronger, more powerful. And as a result of that, the mind becomes happy or joyful, even elated. There can also be bright light appearing in the mind, or one may feel rapture manifesting as goosebumps or the hair standing on end. So what may happen when happiness, joy, uh, rapture arise is that the mind gets carried away by this pleasurable feeling of happiness or rapture or seeing um, all this light. So then um, one may get caught up in this pleasurable experience. And being carried away or caught up, one may also then indulge in this very nice uh, experience, take delight in these rapturous feelings, take delight in the bright light that is illuminating one's whole mind and body. And it is also very easy that one then gets attached to these nice uh, experiences, to get attached to this experience of light or the elation or the rapture. And actually, it's quite natural that meditators get attached to these pleasurable experiences and that they indulge in these experiences because these experiences are far better than anything that they have experienced in their lives so far. It is really so much better, so much nicer, much more joyous, much more exalted than the very best experiences people have had. And so, having the best experience in their life, meditators do not want to get lo- to let go of these experiences or if the happiness the elation disappears then meditators seek to get this experience back or have big expectations that this experience uh, may arise again so when meditators get get attached to these experiences or when they 
get carried away and simply indulge in these nice experiences, then meditators get stuck. It's like getting into a dead end. You know, this is not to say that these experiences are wrong or to even say that they are dangerous in themselves. On the contrary, these experiences or signs are very important hallmarks on the way, but they are not the final goal, not the final destination. These nice feelings of happiness, elation, rapture, light are to be understood as natural manifestations that indicate that the practice is going well, that it is going in the right way. But in order to get an even more profound stillness, a deeper happiness, we need to let go of these nice and pleasurable experiences. And so here the role of a skilled teacher um, becomes very important. It's then the teacher that needs to point out that these experiences are good and valid, but that they are not yet the final goal, that the meditator needs to let go of them because there is still a more profound happiness or stillness uh, to be experienced. So with these experiences happening, it's important that one keeps the connection to the metta-wish, so that one continues to arouse this benevolent wish for, let's say, the teacher to be happy and well. So this needs to continue. The happiness, the light, rapture can kind of be acknowledged. We know that this is happening, but we do not stop the cultivation of metta and let ourselves get carried away simply by the stillness or the happiness. So to stay connected with the metta wish, this heartfelt wish for the other person to be happy and well, this is the main point. These pleasurable experiences can or will happen, but we should not get distracted by them. We simply acknowledge them, know that they are there, but we continue with the cultivation of the metta-wish. Now I want to say a few words in regard to specific metta and unspecific metta. The gradual practice of cultivating loving-kindness takes us from ourselves to our benefactors, dear persons, neutral persons, difficult persons, and maybe to enemies. And all in all these different categories, we choose one person as the object for our metta-meditation. So the object is very specific. It's our teacher 
or our grandmother or a neighbor. So, a specific person. We have done this for a number of days until today and this morning Venerable Viranyani has said that we have opened up our scope and opened up our meta-wish for different groups of persons or beings like all our close friends or our teachers or all the meditators here. And radiating metta to different groups of persons or beings, we still have specific beings like all our friends or all the beings here uh, on the compound. So specific beings, beings are still kind of defined. Then as a further widening of the circle, we can choose groups of beings that are a bit more difficult to encompass. Like all beings here on the compound of the meditation center, which includes the birds, maybe the worms in the earth, the spiders in the rooms, and so on. So we don't have a very clear picture or idea how many or what kind of beings there are on this compound. But still, it's limited, it's specified, the beings here uh, on this compound. Or it could be all female beings that exist. There are many female beings human females, animal females, unseen female beings, and so on. So again, it's difficult to really know how many and how many different female beings there are. But still, the scope is specified. It's only female beings. Only at the very end, when we open up our heart to all living beings, is it no longer specific metta. Then it becomes unspecific metta because we do no longer specify the kind of persons or beings we radiate our metta. Metta towards all living beings, unspecific metta, seems to be easier for some person. One reason for this is that all beings is quite a general term. It's quite unspecific because no person or being stands out. And therefore, difficult issues with specific persons, they do not tend to come up and stand in the way. That is, having all living beings as uh, the object of our meta-meditation, then we are not so directly faced with our known or unknown weaknesses. So it makes it a smoother ride. It seems to be easier to cultivate metta. But when we have to cultivate loving kindness towards a specific person, then it becomes more obvious how pure and genuine our metta actually is. Because there is no way to pretend that our metta is pure and uh, genuine if we get maybe a little bit annoyed 
in regard to this person, or if we get uh, slightly worried. Radiating metta towards all living beings is also more anonymous. So this bulk of all living beings is more likely to be an idea because, as I've already said, we can not possibly know each and every single living being. But we know very well a specific person as our teacher or the mother or a neighbor. So to summarize, unspecific metta is when we cultivate loving-kindness for all living beings, when we make no distinctions, no specifications. And whenever we make some specifications, then it is specific metta. For example, in the metta chant that we have been chanting every afternoon, we have Sabe Sata, Sabe Panna, Sabe Buddha, Sabe Pugala, Sabe Atabhava, Pariya Panna. These are five expressions, all um, breathing beings, all creatures, all personalities. But actually these five expressions have the same meaning. It just means all living beings. So, These are expressions that can be used for unspecific metta. But then, the next seven expressions, Sabha Itio, Sabe Purisa, Sabe Ariya, Sabe Anariya, Sabe Deva, Sabe Manusa, Sabe Vinipatika, they refer to certain types of beings, like all male beings, all female beings, all Ariyas, all those who are not Ariyas, all Devas, heavenly beings, all human beings, and all beings in the lower uh, worlds. So these are expressions for unspecific, no, sorry, for specific uh, metta. And also when we do the radiation in the ten directions, purati, maya, desire, and so on, because our metta then is specific to all beings in the eastern direction or in the western direction and so on. So also this is specific metta. When I used to live in Switzerland before ordaining as a nun and going to Burma, I had a neighbor who was somehow interested in meditation. And later on, when I had translated this book on the practice of metta meditation by Sayado Uindaka, so when I had translated it into English and German, then, meeting her on a visit back to Switzerland, I gave her a copy of the German Meta book. And sometime later, she sent me an email uh, saying that she had read the book, that she found it interesting. And she said, reading about uh, radiating metta in the ten directions, now it became clear why one has to do it. She said, because then the likelihood to hit this flying nun somewhere on the planet uh, was there. <laughs> because sometimes when we emailed each other, she would ask, where are you? I would say, in Burma. 
next time maybe in the USA, next time Australia. (laughs) Last night, we were telling several meta stories which so beautifully explained or made clear how beneficial this quality of loving-kindness is. And traditionally, in the scriptures, in the Visuddhi Magga, 11 benefits uh, are mentioned. I only want to mention one of these benefits, a very kind of basic one, but a very important one, because it makes such a big difference in our life. Namely, the benefit that uh, with the practice of metta meditation, one sleeps well, one has a good sleep. And as a matter of fact, during the past few days in the individual interviews, many of you have reported either how well you sleep here with practicing metta, or a couple of meditators have said that for the first time in a long, long time, they had a good night's sleep. And you know how it is when your sleep is not well, or when you have nightmares. Saira Ujanaka uh, always advises uh, the meditators to practice metta meditation before going to bed or go lying in bed before falling asleep that at that time one should practice metta meditation that it helps to fall asleep that one may have a good sleep and wake up happily And when we practice metta just before going to sleep, we can do it in a light way. We don't need to do it um, with lots of effort because then we stay awake of trying too hard. It should be very soft, very gently, very light. But, you know, just incline our mind to this wish may I be happy and well, or may all beings be happy and well, whatever. And Saido Ujanaka has said, so metta meditation is actually the best sleeping pill, or the best sleeping medicine. And it's one that works, and it has guaranteed no bad side effects. It's not harmful. So as I said, in the approach where we emphasize the cultivation of loving-kindness for the attainment of jhana, we stay much longer with each person and have several persons of the same category until we move to the next one. So here, in the container of this retreat, practicing metta for one week, we kind of just wanted to give you a little taste. So one person for one day, then the next category, and so on, and then opening to groups of people tomorrow, uh, all living beings. So, yeah, you, you get a little taste of uh, metta. If you get interested to practice more metta for longer period of time, then next year in January there will be a three-week metta retreat in Burma. Or two weeks, I think. We will talk more about it uh, when the retreat Uh, comes to an end and let you know.
So, to close this talk, I want to read a short quote from Lama Sopa Rinpoche, a Tibetan uh, monk and teacher. And after that, we sit in silence for a few moments. So he said, Loving kindness is the source of happiness for all living beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.